0: Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. Um, During the pandemic, I've been doing a series of webinars to keep myself entertained, to be more educated, and to provide people with just some really great information from some amazing guests. uh, the reviews that I'm getting on the webinars is fantastic, and I'm actually going to work on putting them up as a podcast on iTunes, but I haven't gotten there yet. So, um, because some of them you can actually just listen to, I have people telling me they're driving down the road listening to the pod to the webinars. So we're we're going to see if we can't turn it into podcasts. Um, today, my guest is Tracy Broom from Colorado. Um, Tracy, I don't even remember where, I know I met you in Colorado, but I can't remember exactly when or where, I think it might have been at the expo, um, but we've known each other for quite a while, kind of have. distant have. relationship, but definitely knew each other was out there. So um, Tracy, I'm just going to let, turn it over to you and let you introduce yourself and we'll just
1: get going. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you, Wendy. Thanks for letting me be part of this. You know, COVID has really changed the way we've been doing our business and um, I think everybody, um, who knows me, but maybe we, since there's a pe- there are people who don't know me, I'm the executive director for the Rocky Mountain School of Animal Acupressure and Massage. And so uh, we were suspended for classes for, you know, pretty much most of our spring, and we've been allowed to resume. But um, I'm more known probably for my craniosacral work. And I think you and I met actually first time was in Virginia at a clinic, a team clinic. Oh, wow. Okay. Probably like 15, 16 years ago, I think. So (laughs) not (laughs) keeping track of time. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No, we're not keeping track. It makes me feel old. So, um,
0: so craniosacral, um, do you want me just to talk about, you know, what? Give us a little bit about your background. Like how did you wind up opening the massage and acupressure school? I mean, so start from the beginning. It doesn't have to be, you know, too in depth, but I'm really curious how you got here.
1: So I lived in New York for a really long time and I was in publishing in New York City. And then I um, read Linda's first book. And so that's how I got that launched this whole new career for me was reading her. I think it was her first book.
0: And that's Linda Tellington Jones, right? Yes,
1: Linda Tellington Jones. And she's been my mentor for over 20 years. And I just I adore her. I've had the the pleasure of having a lot of and the the opportunity to have a lot of great mentors over the years. So I started with T touch. I got certified, and then I jumped into cranio work, craniosacral therapy. Um, I work with both dogs, cats, horses. I'm just there's a little window popping up. I'm just going to delete here. Hold on. It says
0: utility error. I Go I'm just going to check that everything's okay on Facebook.
1: Okay. I'm just going to leave this here. I don't know what it is and I don't want to ruin anything. So we're just going to move okay. it. Okay. So, um, so starting in craniosacral therapy, I thought, Oh, I have gotta be you know, go back and, and, um, learn more about anatomy, biomechanics. I became basically the start of a forever student. So, you know, craniosacral into massage, into myofascial work. And, and then, um, a few years ago, um, sadly, my best friend passed away, and she owned this massage school, and the school was, uh, uh, had the potential of closing if somebody didn't purchase it. And I'd been an instructor, gosh, for eight years. So I decided I would buy the school and change things a little bit, um, open it up to more instructors and more variety. Because I guess after, you know, being in so many classes and having so many mentors, I realized it's not just one modality, you know, and, you know, certainly the surefoot pads and, and things that for me really offer an opportunity for the owner to be mm-hmm. super, super involved in their horse's
0: care. It's really important. Yeah. So, so I, I didn't love- realize that you wound up um, purchasing the school. F- I, I, I guess I missed that. When did you do that? It was. It's about two years ago now. Um, oh, okay. So it's fairly recent. Yeah, because the fairly. last time I saw you, that was not um, no. something that was on the cards. Yeah. No, nope.
1: and and I've had my own school for craniosacral therapy for probably you know sixteen, seventeen years since I got certified in it. I just decided the best way to learn about something is to teach it, yes. and so <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm always learning something new every day. So I say to my students, you know. I I know just as little and just as much as you do, so let's just learn together, right? Yeah, so, no,
0: it's really true. The student is the teacher and the teacher is the student. Yeah. Um, so where did you do your, did you do the human craniosacral or where did you do your training? I've taken one up ledger course, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, so I started with a different
1: program, which is more in the Hugh Milne. Um, Milne is a human uh, cranio, on the West Coast primarily. So I studied with Maureen Rogers in equine craniosacral therapy, but we did work on people. So it was that combination of work on the person, then go work on the the animal so that you understand what they're feeling. And then I went through another program through Marty Spiegelman, um, who's a shaman, but also a craniotherapist. And then I went and started assisting all the upledger classes, so I got the opportunity. Right, I'm so I'm so type A. I got the opportunity to like go and study and from all these brilliant people, and it was just such a gift. So then I adapted all the human pieces that that resonated into the
0: horse and the dog work. So right, because there, um, if I understand it right, cr- you know, craniosacral was developed by. For humans i 'm not sure who originally developed cranial maybe you 'll go into that um, mm-hmm. but then then it was really a question of adapting it to animals because that there wasn 't really anything, and so people took it upon themselves, which was fa- fabulous to adapt it to horses is that right
1: yes that 's right, and I think Sutherland is is credited with being the father of cranial osteopathy, and so he was in the i believe for those of you who are good at dates, don't, don't slaughter me, but it was like from the forties, I think thirties or forties. And so, um, he basically realized like there were rhythms in the body that were separate from heart rate and respiration. And they were really important because we, we can, we have our heart and we have our, uh, you know, our lungs, but what, what's the primary source of of activity is you know the core link or the the nervous system, you know, having a brain and a spinal cord. Without that, we don't have an organism. And so he started looking at like what's this separate rhythm, you know, that that you can feel. And it's super light. It's it's almost like a breath. They call it the breath of life. Um, it's it's you know to palpate that, you have to be really focused. And so, you know, self-work always comes into this, you know, you have to be able to quiet your brain. To be able to do this work uh, because it's settled and,
0: and i think um you know the little the I, I did one course but you know it's in the way it's similar to feldenkrais until you experience it you can't do it or teach it because you have to embody what that work is that's right yep that's so right. somebody's asking where you're from in colorado because she's also in colorado it's around there.
1: oh i'm in littleton right now so i'm at this beautiful ranch it's called zuma's rescue ranch and we're just outside of Denver and it's a 125 acre place. It's spectacular. It's also a horse rescue. So uh, we, when I moved the school here uh, it just, it worked out perfectly because we have 45 rescue horses and goats and sheep and all sorts of other beings, but to be able to help give back to the horses.
0: And so also have, have uh, willing participants for learning. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> so true. So true. So our horses are really spoiled
1: and they love us. And uh, I have a class running right now and they're listening, I think. So hi, Jean. Hi, Tina. Um, <laughs> they're being very gracious to let us do this webinar and take a time out from their
0: class. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, it's really it's fabulous for you to, to be a guest. And because this is one of the fields that, you know, we've mentioned and talked about. But having a webinar just specifically on sacral, I think is really beneficial for people to um, really understand what it is. Um, because you hear these words and you hear these techniques, but you know until somebody actually describes it and even then what I found is with some of the webinars I, I thought I knew a lot and I learned so much more when I had someone who was you know that that was their field of expertise so um, So yeah, let's go go ahead and and uh, I don't know if you have a presentation or if you're it's a talk our um, images, because we didn't get that far, and you've had to switch computers three times. I know.
1: So I have none of my images on this computer, because this is Tina's computer. She's loaned it to me. And so I think we're going to wing it. That's fine. (laughs) Totally fine. Okay. So, uh, you know, you and I talked about really addressing the scientific side of craniosacral therapy, because there are a lot of... um, Uh, other ways to look at it. There are more esoteric or etheric ways to look at it. So um, when I think about like learning, my brain works in a way that I want to know the science side of it and how everything works. And then I want to know how it affects the being. So thinking about um, Dr. Sutherland and what he started with, it was, you know, you've got your brain and you've got your spinal cord and you can see behind me, there's a horse up there, it's barely visible, but um, we could certainly get that down and look at the spine and, and so you can see it uh, in more detail. Props that's are important. great if you want to get them and it's fine if you don't. Um, okay. we- Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the science first. So, so when we have this beautiful brain in our skull, um, and we have a skull behind me also. So we have a, a membrane around that skull, which is really tough. It's like, um, almost leathery in it's in its appearance. If we were to pull it out of the the skull cavity And, and that creates this pocket or a protective mechanism for the brain. And when we're looking at that, um, what we're seeing is the brain is suspended in that skull cavity. So it's suspended from the very top and then it's got a little cushion or a trampoline type membrane underneath it. All around that and filling that space is the cerebrospinal fluid. Cerebrospinal fluid is like salt water. So it's that um, consistency of of a more buoyant, um, pH neutral, uh, with it's watery right it's very watery so when we look at that it has a lot of purposes so the main purpose is uh nutrients so it provides nutrients to the nervous system to the brain and what's really interesting i don't know if you've read about this wendy like in 2015 uh, an article came out in abmp magazine and what it showed is that there was an old model of how the cerebrospinal fluid is created and then there's a new model and um that's pretty recent. So when I think about like all the advances over the years, this is a pretty new new set of information. Um, so I'll briefly touch on this just because I found it really interesting. We used to think that the, the cerebrospinal fluid was created in the center in these what are called the choroid plexus plexi of the brain. They're four ventricles. And they thought it was created there, that similar to the cardiovascular system, that there was a pathway. So we'd have like similar to, you know, so we have capillaries, veins and arteries that the fluid would follow a trajectory of a a system that was directional. And now they know that that's not true. They removed the choroid plexi. The CSF was continued to be produced
0: at the same volume in the whole brain. So. so so let me just see if I can uh, boil this down a little bit. Yep. Basically, uh, our brain and our spinal cord is encased in a sack, essentially. And okay. within that sack is a fluid. And we can think of that as almost like a hydraulic system to cushion so that any kind of abrupt movement, It, you know, when we think of like a fluid-filled sack, it kind of dampens things. So the brain is kind of suspended in this fluid to support it. Um, and that the old theory was that the fluid was formed up in the brain, and now there's a new theory. Is that, have I got it right? Yes, exactly. You've got it.
1: And so that new theory is it's created everywhere in the brain whenever it's needed. Who's so making it? Who's making it? The brain's making it. <laughs> there's the probably some it. little cell in there. Yes. There are cells in the brain that, that are in charge of that and they, and they make that. And, the, and, and I don't want to get too scientific, but you know, and techie, but I can, um, if we want to, we can resource that article so people can go read all those little details of what are those cells called and how do they work. And, um, and so I thought that was pretty amazing. Can you just tell us the name of the cells? Oh, I, let me look it up. I can't remember the name of it to be honest. Okay, I'm just curious. I'll I'll find it and we'll, okay. we'll put it on something else. But okay, we um, can put it up on Facebook when we post this. Yeah, video. exactly. I'll I'll clarify that. Um, so the other piece was that um, it gets uh, reabsorbed and 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 distributed basically through semi permeable membrane. It's not like it follow. It doesn't follow a vessel. It's actually it's a semi permeable system. So it gets created and then absorbed and distributed as needed. So that's pretty cool when we think about you know, brain injuries or, or how do we heal the brain? How do we um, heal the spinal cord? So we can, we uh, hope that if the, the system is successful and and happy and hydrated, that the body can heal much more quickly. What, and, and so the other, what you said is it's protective. And so that's the, the other, the role of the CSF is to be protective. What we also know is that it can, as it continues along that spinal cord, it it does distribute through the lymphatic system. It does continue throughout the body. And I think most people uh, in the old paradigm thought that that CSF stayed around the brain and the spinal cord and that just, it didn't flow beyond Mm -hmm. that.
0: So CSF, just to clarify, is cerebral spinal fluid, but CSF is a way easier way to call it. Um, And somehow, maybe I'm getting ahead of it, but somehow it has to maintain a certain pressure. In other words, I know enough about osmosis that's like, when we do reverse osmosis water, basically what we're doing is we're flowing water with minerals through a membrane and on the other side, you wind up with just pure H2O and all the minerals stay on the other side. So osmosis is this ability to transfer, depending on the particle size, particles through a membrane so that some stay on one side and then smaller particles go to the other side. So somehow the system's maintaining a a steady pressure. Is that right?
1: Right. And that's what creates that craniosacral rhythm. So when we, it, create, it gets created and then distributed, that's the ebb and the flow of that cyclic cyclical um, rhythm of,
0: of what we call the craniosacral rhythm. So we have a couple of questions. Let me just pop them okay. in now. Somebody says, is the embodiment of craniosacral related to haptic, also known as haptic sublime to Victorian Mountaineers. And I don't know what haptic is, so I'm not sure.
1: I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll learn something great and new. This I'll go look it up after we're off,
0: offline. Um, let's see, somebody else says they're so fascinated by this topic, interested in whether Surefoot pads are available. Okay, I can answer that, I can type an answer to that. Um, hang on, I've got two in the chat here. Let me just see what they had to say. Um, let's see. Oh, here's a good question. Does the uh, CSF distribute in one direction?
1: No, it distributes wherever it needs to go. So the brain is producing it throughout the whole brain, and then it will move it into areas where it's needed. So depending on what activity you're doing, or is the being in a healing crisis, healing mode, it needs more CSF to to really... uh, help the nerves regenerate it will create more volume in a health in a fairly healthy being so if we think about beings who've had what we call a traumatic brain injury which it can be a concussion it could be that you know you've had to come off your horse and you may have had your helmet on but you still have a concussion that's considered a traumatic brain injury it can be in varying degrees of course but in those cases more cerebrospinal fluid would be needed to help
0: the body and the brain heal So, so, so it, it's kind of an on-demand system. Yes. Okay. And um, let's see. Okay. Where in the body do you find the rhythm? We're going to get into that. Yes, we're going to get into that. Okay, so, and,
1: that so the first place we start with the rhythm is, you know, we have this core link. And so I, we can palpate that create creation of CSF and distribution or, or release of CSF. That's what the practitioner is feeling for. in when we start, maybe we're feeling, you know, in that dura or in the spinal cord. So we put our hands, um, a contact, a typical contact would be, you know, the pull to the withers. Maybe we feel. should get
0: that little skeleton down there. Oh yeah,
1: let me back this up so we can see. Hopefully it stays on its... On
0: looks, its um, looks pretty good. So dura, tell us what dura is. So the dura is the
1: membrane that we were talking about, that, that beautiful membrane that surrounds the brain. Let me get this better. So it surrounds the brain and the spinal cord. So it's, the, it's called the dura mater, and it, it means tough mother. So (laughs) tough mother. So the tough mother surrounds that brain and then continues. So here we have our skull, and the brain is in here. This the as the spinal cord exits and goes, here's our cervical spine, here's our thoracic spine, lumbar, and sacrum. So a contact for, for me when I'm looking at, let's say I have a horse that has a neck injury. I might put my hand at first cervical vertebrae behind the back of the head and at the withers. And I'm looking at, is that cerebrospinal fluid smoothly and clearly, uh, easily flowing through this area? Because if we have an injury in the neck and we don't have uh, that spinal fluid coming to that area to help it heal and repair and feed the nerves, we won't have as quick of a recovery.
0: So essentially we have the, the spinal column encased in the dura mater with the spinal fluid, the CSF in, uh, in it being sort of the shock absorbing system. And when there's an injury, this, is it the, the, are we looking at the spinal cord that's damaged and therefore affecting the flow or is it that just the subluxation can, because we have some um, webinars where we've looked at like thoracic spine and we can see the size of the hole in the vertebrae that the spinal cord, and it's huge, it's huge the spinal cord in a horse, how, how big around is the spinal cord in a horse approximately? Oh gosh, I wish I had brought in
1: some, some vertebrae and um, it's about, you know, um, well, we can look, hold on, let me pull down a skull. Sorry, we're hopefully everybody's okay with us having all this audio, you know, this visual stuff. Yeah, but no, we're,
0: it's great. Because I think some people don't realize just how, how big a structure we're talking about. Like in a person, you know, it's, it's small, but in a horse, it's huge. So if you can see, so
1: this is the back of the head. So if you, you know, here's your, you know, your first vertebrae. So this is the hole. So if you can see it, where the spinal cord exits the head. So the brain is in here.
0: So here's so that the spinal cord. is there. almost It's at least an inch and a half in diameter.
1: Yes. It's, huge, it's, it's probably about a good inch at least. Yeah. And so, you know, when you look at
0: this and then you've got your, this is your skull, so you can see the perspective. So can you open that up so we can see where the brain cavity would be? Yeah. So we can remove our, I'm taking the mandible, the
1: low jaw off, and so when we're looking, so we've got, here's your foramen, and then your brain, you, you can sort of see the entryway into the brain under here. Right. Okay. This is your air sinuses up here, so that's. Your t- and
0: then your eye sockets are those other. These are your, so your eye sockets, let's do this, are here. Right, so right. the brain's basically underneath that forehead.
1: Yeah. It's, yes. Basically right from actually like, if we turn this, well, let's see which way brain is here. Got it. So your eyes are here. Here's your, and here's, you know, your, your whorl right between the eyes.
0: So you kind of drop a little bit back and here's your brain. Okay. And so yeah. you, it would be difficult to feel the cranial flow in the, on the skull because of the bone. Is that right? Not necessarily. It depends on where your hands are. So when I'm doing,
1: um, Sorry, my head's cut off. Uh, when I'm doing a, a, a work on the skull itself, we're looking at the sutures. And so we're looking at, and this is a very old skull. So when we look at the skull, you can see that, that the nasal sutures are open. So where a suture is where a plate of bone meets another plate of bone. It's a considered a type of joint, it's a fibrous joint. So when we look at um, cranial the cranial rhythm, if our, sutures are really adhesed or stuck together and not able to like express themselves. Um, and I'll, I'll explain this in a little more detail. So when the spinal fluid fills and releases, it, it can keep the, um, um, the sutures open. We know that there's fusion that happens. So fusion means that bone comes together. Oh, my trusty assistant has brought a different skull for you to see. Oh, yay. <laughs> Thanks, you. you're the best. So this is a much younger skull. So do you see how different the plates oh, are? Oh, wow. Wow, right? So this is the frontal bone, our brain is here. Um, so these are, this is a really young horse. So this horse was probably two or three, I'm guessing two, because his back molars haven't er- quite erupted yet. Here we have much more open nasal bones. So I can put my hands on either side of this suture and feel the cranial rhythm.
0: Oh wow! So I, I think I remember from equosoma they were saying how the sutures really don't cl- uh, um, fuse. In other words, those bones—the right. older horse—they started to obviously, but yeah. But the, you can the, see, look
1: how open. I mean, this is this is the incisor. These are the incisors, front teeth, and this is your maxillar upper jaw. This is really open, right? Because chew. So wherever there's movement of breath, chewing ears, the temporal bones are really open, we can still make a difference and open those up. And what does that mean? When we're talking about um, doing a session, it a closed suture or a compression from a head injury or even too tight of equipment, those kinds of things can create a diminishment of the production of the CSF. So in other words, I have a tight head, the brain can't produce what it needs to, Now my nervous system isn't optimal. Maybe I can't think. Maybe I'm a horse that all of a sudden becomes spooky. When I wasn't spooky, um, behavioral stuff can come up and physical stuff can manifest. So everything in the skull can be reflective in what's happening in the body from a a craniosacral standpoint and from even just a bodywork
0: standpoint. Wow. So, so because these sutures are open, you can feel the cranial rhythm in the skull. But like you said, you were talking about where you could feel. Uh, th- are there specific places where it's easier to feel that cranial rhythm than others?
1: Yes. And so, when I when we're t- thinking about what does the bi- why do we have bone? We have bone to give us structure, and especially over that delicate brain, there's going to be more of a, a, a fusion or, or a rapid fusion to protect it. Right. So. Where, when we look at this over the brain area, this area here is going to have more fusion more quickly. So I'm not gonna be able to feel, these are the parietal bones, I'm not gonna be able to necessarily feel the parietal bones, cranial rhythm, if it's an older horse, even a horse that's five, six, seven, I'm not gonna be able to feel that. However, the frontal bone, nasal bones, and other bones of the skull where they're more dynamic and those sutures stay open, we wanna keep them open as long as we can. So a horse that gets regular cranial work will have a more, of a, more of an opportunity to have um, more uh, the CSF being produced in a, in a better way. So it's easier for me to teach students to feel it in the bigger moving areas like that dura. So if I'm looking at that, that what we were for the first contact at the pole to the withers, that's a much more dynamic, big movement. This is much more subtle movement. So it's more like, feels like the sutures are breathing. They're opening and closing between your fingers.
0: So exactly. what creates this rhythm? It almost sounds like a, um, an ocean wave to me, like a tide.
1: It is. it is like a tide. And so it's basically, you know, what we were talking about to start. The su- spinal fluid gets gets created. So it, it it's like a welling up or a filling up of that that, Space in that cranium, so it fills the space, and then as the body it gets to capacity, so it's filled up with cerebrospinal fluid, and then the body says, "Okay, now we can release it down the spinal cord." That's the rhythm. So, and then, then that like
0: will it. will because it's connected to the lymph system, it will flow out into the lymph system, and then th- that's a whole nother system in the body that we could talk about forever, but. <laughs> But you
1: can feel the cranial rhythm anywhere in the body, in a muscle, in an organ, you, and, it, and it translates in that case and when it's organs to life force and vitality. So what you know, is, is fluid? And, and one of my favorite things to talk about, of course, is fascia. So when we talk about fascia or fascia, we talk about you know that's everywhere in the body. And so the cranial sacral rhythm is intricately linked to the fascial system.
0: Yeah! Wow, <laughs> we we keep coming back to fascia, but it's okay. It's fascia is fascinating. Um, so. Fabulous, we love it. But we're looking at the fluids of
1: the body, and, and I was reading a book, and I'll, I'll hold it up. I love this book because this is live imagery of fascia. But he talks about um, oh wow, yeah. So he talks about um, how we were we we're so focused on the form of the body. But we're, what's really important are the spaces between or that this, where the fluids of the body are. Because that's what creates more stability. We're, we're 70% water. So, right. and, and in that water, of course, is CSF and other fluids. But I just love that he talks, you know, we can see this fascia, and then we'll get back to the cranial stuff, but... You know, if we can think about all the nerves are encased in fascia, you know, so when we look at the system of all those intricate little tubules and that CSF is in there and we can palpate that. And what I'm looking for in the body overall is what what's flowing and what's not flowing is the bottom line. If We take all the scientific languaging out. Where does the body feel at ease, and where does it not feel in
0: ease or in in fluidity? So, um, so the CSF fluid is going to flow out of the spinal cord. It's going to go into the lymph system, but it's it will also go into the into the fascial system. So, so essentially, we we have a fluid system that. Uh, does it vary in comp like interstitial fluid versus CSF fluid versus hydrating fascial fluid? Are those all the same composition or are they different? Or is maybe that too intense a question? <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, they're, they're unique in their components, but they, they blend together at some point, you know? So I think.
0: Um, so I'm kind of thinking like, you know, you have know, a river with, fresh water, and you have an ocean with salt water, and then you have brackish water at the mouth of the, of the bay. Uh, in, the, in the body, do you have fluids that are of different composition, and there's places where they kind of flow together, or places where they're yeah. Kind of more different? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think so, and you know, when you think about the concentration of the spinal cord going the length, so the horse's spinal cord ends at sacral segment two, so at the sacrum, and that's the little pie-shaped bone that's fused at the end of the, of the spine. It's right. If you, if you put your hand on the croup of the horse, like the, at the top of the highest point of the hind end, the sacrum Oh, where's your out. little
0: skillet and we can show that. Oh sorry. yeah.
1: Yes. Let's look at that. So we have our friend here. So our sacrum is going to be right here. Yep. So here's your top of your croup. So here's your pelvic girdle, the wings coming up.
0: I think I could drop it, let me see if I can, without dropping it off, we can just. Yes, and it. if anybody wants to know more about the bones, just go back and watch the equisoma webinars because um, Barb, uh, uh, Pam and Diane bring out sacrums and show you sacrums and there's two webinars on that. So um, it's fascinating, it's, it's just, if you don't know about your horse's sacrum and how it's positioned within
1: the pelvis and even how the pelvis is oriented to the body, it's really helpful for you as an owner a writer uh, or a practitioner to know all of this because this is so when we think about this core link of the cranial system, we're talking about cranium to sacrum. So craniosacral and there's a central bone of the cranium with, that the brain rests on that is, has a direct link to the sacrum. And so when this spinal fluid fills up and gets created and then gets released, you feel that, the length of the spine and- So can you actually
0: feel a timing difference between the flow from the, from the uh, cranium to the withers to the croup? I mean, it, it will take time, obviously not long, but- It's eight, it, uh, in humans, it's about eight cycles
1: per minute. And in horses, it depends on the length of the spine. So the cycles are uh, the filling and the releasing is the cycle. But it can, in horses, if it's a normal average-sized horse, give me six to seven filling and releasing or cycles per minute. Okay. so It's it's subtle, so you have to
0: stay there a while. Right. So slow respiration, what is respiration? 16 and heart rate's 40. So this is a slower rhythm than either of those. Right. That's right.
1: And sometimes when they're in deep rest, you know, we'll start to entrain with that respiration and you can feel them come into sync and that's when a horse is really relaxed and you feel you'll hear them having that deep therapeutic breath so it's you know they're really in the work with you they're really you know locked in with you
0: so their breathing will actually slow down
1: yes it deepens it almost sounds like they're going to sleep but it's a different breath sound than i hear with any other time So we call it the therapeutic breath. So it's them processing and they feel like they go really deep internally. They're really listening to what's happening in their own body, which is super helpful for a lot of horses who are really kind of wired for sound. You know, you go, you do a little cranial work and we don't want them sedated, but we want them to be in their thinking brain. Mm -hmm. And so I believe the cranial work helps them stay in their thinking brain, which is thinking brain is, is in alignment with the healing process
0: so right in other words a non-stress state a non-survival state exactly
1: and we can go into the whole topic of you know sympathetic and parasympathetic but you've probably had people talking about that already and but that's what i feel like the cranial work does uh, for a lot of horses is to help them be in that state and then be able to process trauma and be able to release adhesions
0: or restrictions throughout the whole body so so if the normal rhythm is about six to seven, did you say six to seven? Yes.
1: Cycles, cycles um, per minute, yes.
0: Um, so what, I, you touched on this a little bit, but what types of things alter cranial rhythm and what does the altered rhythm feel like, like what happens to it? So
1: when we have, if we start with that, it's, it's kind of a crazy amount of things, but because we can feel the cranial rhythm in the whole body, it can be just about anything that alters it. So it can be a head injury, but it could also be a surgery. So we could have um, a colic. We could have uh, a laceration that cuts tissue. It's going to diminish the cerebrospinal fluids flow through those nerves to uh, repair that area. So it's not just CSF. We know that, that heals an area, but um, you know, it's blood and, um but in other
0: words, it's not a one-way street. In other words, you don't have to have a direct injury to the spine to yeah. alter, you can have an injury or an insult or something happen, a trauma, anywhere in the body, and that will alter our cranial sacral rhythm.
1: Yes, so a good example, I have a, a horse in my practice that was last year. She had um, some, some dentistry that left her mouth uh, out of balance. And it, it, it was just, you know, this happens. She was a young horse. She was four. Uh, she was a barrel racing horse. Uh, within a few months, she lost all of her masseter muscle, which is the muscle that they used to, che- one of the muscles they used to chew with. It's, you know, ours is right here. She lost her whole top line. And she um, was unridable. and then became neurologic. What Neurologic means that she was, uh, you know if they did neurologic tests the vet came out they did a full workup they said you either need to put her down or um, retire her and she's basically pasture uh, sound only Wow! and so the, the owner called me and she said I I mean this is my hard horse I, I can't even I don't understand what happened and so we I said I don't either but let me come and look and her TMJs um, so if we look at the skull here's the TMJ Right here, it's TMJ. So temporal bone meets the mandible TMJ joint. And in this particular case, her TMJs were locked because her teeth were out of balance. They weren't aligned and she couldn't chew properly. The TMJ is the pattern setter for the whole body. It's the most highly innervated joint in the body. So when something's happening there, it affects the whole body. So what did we do? We did craniosacral work and released the TMJ. We had a different dentist come out and rebalance her mouth differently. Once her mouth was in balance, we did three or four more sessions within a, I think we did it over a six month period. After the six month period, her masseter muscles were back. Her top line was back, her glute, she had lost her hind end, like her gluteals, those big muscles that you know move the body, push the body forward, uh, the engine of the body. They all came back. She ended up placing, I think, third her first time out at a at a competition out of
0: 350. Wow. Um, so and for was, those of like, you want to know more about the TMJ and hyoid, please watch Jillian Crimebrink's webinar. She talks all about the hyoid and the TMJ. Yeah. Um, it's an excellent uh, webinar to go with this one. And that's what I like is I, I have these bits and pieces so that people can gather more information about those bits and pieces. So, so you bring up this fascinating point that, that, um, when the craniosacral rhythm is off due to, due to dentistry and TMJ, that the signs of that aren't just limited to the jaw, they're right. throughout the entire body. And, can, and neurologic signs, you know, th- there's so many reasons for neurologic signs. And that's right. one of the difficulties of dealing with a neurologic horse is what's causing it.
1: Right. Which is why we wanted a full veterinary workup. You know, it's really important. You know, I got called out to see a horse uh, last week and I got there and the horse was neurologic. And I said, I really, really want the vet to come out because we don't know why he was fine and now he's not. So they did, you know, Lyme tests and all the tests and then they did x-rays and, and he's has wobbler syndrome now. He's apparently fallen and hurt his cervical vertebrae. So if I had just done a session and not recommended the vet i mean that's that's it's not responsible but it's really not safe for the horse and owner
0: Right. And that you bring up a really good point that a good diagnosis is key to what treatment you use and how you apply that treatment. So um, please just remember to contact your vet if you have any kind Absolutely. of a health issue because um, these webinars are not designed to diagnose or treat anything. They're just informative right. about the types of things that can be done. Um, yes. So, all right, so we've got this cranial sacral rhythm. It's it can be tapped into, you said, from different places in the body. Are there key places that we can tap into feeling the cranial sacral rhythm?
1: I think the easiest is the dura, um, you know, having our hands on the spine because it's the biggest movement. But, you know, in my protocols, when I teach classes, I have a seven level program because there's so many, I mean, there's so many unique situations with horses, but, you know, when I, for me, the key areas would be the pole, the TMJ, you know, working along the spine, and then what what manifests as a compensation based on something that's happened in the in that spine. Um, so we could, you know, one of my favorite protocols is the 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 scapula releases. So having, you know, I call it the scapular clock. So if I'm looking at this, let's pull our little skeleton out again when we're looking at this beautiful scapula we're real you know this is not attached with bone right so it's only soft tissue so when I'm working with a horse and the horse starts to toe in or toe out or the when they're getting a suspense you know potentially having a suspensory strain, that leg comes up and in so how can I help support the horse by doing releasing every segment so scapula to neck scapula to ribs to back muscles to withers. So it's it's a little bit hard for people to wrap their head around that the cranial rhythm would be able to be worked with in a scapula. But I can tell you that if I can release that energetically um, with a very light palpation, we regain range of range of motion again in that whole thoracic limb. And you so you bring
0: up a really good point in terms of the amount of pressure that you use with cranial sacral. Can you describe that?
1: Sure. They often say it's the weight of a nickel. And I keep thinking to myself, what's the weight of a nickel feel like, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> Yeah. I like, I don't get it. So what I think about is like, if I'm carrying a like wood in, or something in my, and I have it in the crook of my elbow, the weight of my, of, of what I, that's being held is in my elbows. Right. So I just imagine that I turn my hands over and place them on the body. With, the, with humans, they prefer a little bit lighter pressure, a lot of humans. Um, so when I, I'm placing my hand on the body instead of resting it. So if I indent the skin, I might be putting too much pressure. But having said that, with a horse having the fly twitch response, we want to have enough pressure that
0: we're not just irritating them and activating that twitch response. Right. So that's the, um, uh, I can't remember which webinar it was. I think it was Martina's talked about the the muscle layer that's just underneath the skin that is that twitch uh, for the yeah flies. the cutaneous I think right. it's the cutaneous and you don't want yeah because if you're if you're light enough to cause that to twitch that's a very irritate I would think I would be very irritated it's very irritating and
1: the horse just moves away from you and so my gauge of pressure is is the horse with me and are they giving me relaxation responses so am I getting a you know little licking and chewing are they is the head in a in a relaxed position that that's you know my key because every horse is different just like every person you know if i if somebody may say oh my gosh deep tissue massage is just too painful and somebody else is like yeah just get in there and dig around you know so it just depends and the horses are, aren't
0: different they have different
1: pressure pressures that they like
0: yeah so somebody's asked a question here but i think i'm gonna um uh kind of rephrase this a little bit um okay. So you're, you obviously are just working on one side of the body or one place at a time. Uh, Horses are big. Um, and I know sometimes when I've done some Feldenkrais work on horses, it's really nice to have a second person to be at the other end. Do you, do you always work alone or, um, like how do you deal with the fact that you're, you're, the horse is so big and you're like, if you're working on a scapula, you're only doing one at a time, right? So
1: I've developed ways to, and in, in, in some people would say safety-wise, it's probably not optimal, but you know, I can do a scapula to scapula decompression by coming in, in front of the horse chest to chest and, and, and still have my hands on the scapula. Um, you can come up from the top. If that feels better, you have to be up on something. Um, and again, it has to be something stable like a mounting block is often, or those bales that the chiropractors use, but you can do a decompression that way. So I have, I don't often work with someone else unless a horse um, is so acute, Um, so the vet's working and then two of us are working, like, it's probably more likely to be a life and death situation.
0: Okay. So typically then you're working alone and you've found ways to work on the two sides of the body where possible. Um, Where possible.
1: But sometimes you just work, you know, you release one, one side of the shoulder, you know, one limb, and then you go to the other side of the body.
0: So you right, and it's necessary. all connected. And then in the Feldenkrais work, you know, often we, we intentionally work on the easy side to make it easier so that there's a comparison for the horse. Um, so... Uh, Let me just see. We have another question here with us. For two years, we have a horse from rescue that's tight in the shoulder and gait, even the skin feels tough, freezes with liberty, does not accept food reinforcers, does stand when touched, uh, rare to blow. I can't, I don't know what that means. Rarely cocks foot, brief lifts to manage, blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay. Um, Suggestions. I actually, bottom line would suggest using surefoot pads, but I'm sure you have some suggestions as well.
1: So I love the surefoot pads for this reason. It's, it's, you know, I teach, you can learn to teach stabilizer exercise, stabilizer muscle exercises where we're like getting the horse to move in a non-habitual way to release fascial adhesions from the skin level. Once the skin level starts to release, then, then underlying tissue begins to release. So I would suggest the surefoot pads is the easiest for me way without having uh, someone having a lot of training as far as anatomy goes. Right. Um, and given,
0: given just the history on this horse and how it goes into freeze, um, if you do use Surefoot, you want to use either, I would suggest the Physiopad, which is the least lowest profile on the hard side, and just one foot and at liberty and don't worry if the horse walks off. Um, you can email me and I can give you some more directions about that. But that's where Surefoots uh, can be very helpful with these types of horses where other things, it's difficult to get other things in. Um, right. And to be able to touch them. But it brings up a really great question, actually, in terms of the foot in relation to the cranial sacral rhythm. So, you know, I mean, I've had a million people on the, not a million, I've had a lot of people on the webinars talking about feet and the importance of feet. And I can't yeah. imagine it's not important in cranial sacral.
1: It's super important and I don't. Um, I'm really humble in the fact that I'm not a farrier or a vet. So I don't know, you know, I'm not an expert on the foot. I do know that when I look at the feet, you know, for me, the foot, you know, is, is it's such a vital part of, of all of this that if I can get upper structures to start flowing energy to the foot, In other words, like how is everything stacked? And some people would say, well, that's chiropractic, but it is, but not necessarily. So I'm looking at what's the fluidity to the hoof, because if you start to, if I get down on, and and some of this can be considered body work, myofascial massage, if I'm looking at the vitality of the the tissue around the foot and you start to feel, how does the skin move, how above the foot, how does the foot itself feel um, under your hand, you can do a lot of work with um, the cranial rhythm and asking energy to flow to the foot. And I know it, we're just trying to stick to the science side of it, but Wendy knows that I'm also a shaman, so <laughs> I can't escape the energy piece of it. No, but, it's okay. It's but,
0: all right. But yeah. so basically, um, I guess you can feel the cranial rhythm in, in the, say, the pastern or the fetlock area. Mm-hmm. I think of it like, yeah, so when I do like,
1: my, in my level two class, we learn to, to release every segment of the limb, all the way to the hoof, so that there's that everything's in full range of motion as best it can be for that body, as as that body wants to move. So that, like, if I'm releasing, uh, let's pull our this guy over. So I would be saying, I'm going to release, you know, this this joint, so that it's going into able to go into flexion and extension more in its full range of motion as it wants to. and that, So my contact would be scapula to humerus and then so on down the leg. And the same with the hind end. You know, it's, it tells me a lot about the horse, you know, when we, someone will say, oh, well we had injections done and it didn't work. And then you see that their most reactivity is actually in the joint above where it's coming from the sacrum and, and then resonating down the leg, right? So we do a hock injection and it's really the sacrum. So yeah, um, uh,
0: who was just on, I just had a, Oh, it was Martina. And I think it was Martina. And we were talking about, Oh, that's right. It was Martina. She's talking about back pain and horses and how um, uh, so much back pain, I think it was like 70% is actually limb issues reflected yes. into the back, um, which right. was a crazy percentage. Um, so I'm, um, Somebody's, it's there's a couple of questions here about combining cranial sacral work with surefoot. And what I would say there is you always want to do techniques by themselves before you start combining things. For one, you don't want to overwhelm the horse, and that wouldn't be easy to do. So, you know, whenever we talk about using surefoot with another technique, you just need to realize that you need to separate everything out first, whether that's stretches, whether that's cranial, whether that's, you know, something else. And then when you introduce it together, you reduce how much you're not only doing, but the number, like the number of pads, you'd go back to one pad. Because it would be, we tend to not realize how quickly we can overload a system. Um, So uh, Tracy, I'm sure that 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 is something you have to keep in mind when doing cranial sacral. How do you know when it's enough? How do you know when, you know, whether it's two minutes or five minutes or a half an hour, how do you know when it's enough? I, I just let the horse show me, you know, if the horse is, you know, so
1: deep, I am I'm not going to just keep plowing through. So if a horse is really in a relaxation mode and releasing, I'm going to wait and let, and hold space for them. Just watch till they're ready for the next piece. Because you actually
0: step back. Is that?
1: Yes. Is that yeah. yeah. Step back, watch. So, you know, I once had an acupuncturist say to me, if I did craniosacral work before she did a treatment, she couldn't figure out what to do because the whole body was in such a state of reprocessing. So she'd say, Could you do, we'll do acupuncture first, wait a day, then do cranio work. And you know, so it's sometimes you even wait 24 to 48 hours. Because what if you overdo something? Or what if so we've all seen this? A horse that doesn't, they're really stoic. They don't, they don't even show you any release in a session you walk away and all of a sudden they just like drop to the ground and they're rolling and sneezing, snorting, doing all sorts of antics. They're processing and that can go on for 24 hours. So if we do craniosacral and then surefoot and then acupuncture, they may be a puddle for like a week. Right. So I don't want that. I want them to have that opportunity to go be a horse, come back. And then we see where we're at, like what changed, what didn't change. And we do little bits
0: and then, I think that's only fair, you know, for uh, them. Do you remember Tony Gonzalez? Mm-mm. Okay. Tony Gonzalez was a farrier. Uh, this is dating me. Okay. And he, we once did a weekend where we had a chiropractor, a saddle fitter, a riding instructor, um, uh, and, uh, a farrier, all these different techniques. And the people brought their horses in and the horses were, were everything happened to them in the weekend. Oh, geez. And, Exactly. This was was early, okay? This is back in the 90s, um, which wasn't long ago that was. But the bottom line was, you know, the the concept of combining all these ideas in theory is fantastic, but does not work in practice. Horses and people cannot process that much information that quickly to come out with a positive result on the other side. It's just overwhelming.
1: I think we've all done that. Wendy, I'll tell you, like we did a holistic horse affair years ago and I think we did it for three years and I was like, it's okay if like they come and experience one modality, but for them to line up and have an appointment with every practitioner, I was just these poor horses. I was like, they're barely able to get on the trailer. They're just a big puddle, you know? So uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. So I,
0: and I think the same for me, if I get body work, I need like 24 hours to process it. Right. And, and every body is different. And I think when you're used to having body work, you can process faster. But when you're, Mm -hmm. if that's a new concept, like this one woman who's talking about her horse, that's tight and freezes and all the the amount that you do is so much less, like it might 10 minutes would be a total session with Surefoot, both on and off the pads, and maybe only on the pads for under 30 seconds in that total 10 minutes. Um, Because the system needs to be able to to if the system can't process and come out with a positive answer you know because they have a single or simple thought to think about then it's not useful because what do you do with it you either have to reject it or deny it or do something because you, you're overwhelmed and you cannot handle it right um, it, it's like what you said before and at
1: some point you, you go beyond therapeutic you go from the parasympathetic where you're able to be in healing, restful mode, to sympathetic, it's a little stressful. And then the body starts to rail against it or, or become you know, like protective of itself.
0: So, so what's the average, and I know that's a tough question, but like when you go to do a cranial session on a horse, say a horse you've never worked on before, just kind of what's, the, like, what's an average time that you work on that horse, just to give us an idea.
1: It depends on the age of the horse. Like you said, there's a lot of variables. So really super seniors are are shorter sessions, could be 20 to 30 minutes, could be 15 minutes. Baby horses, like if it's a newborn foal and I'm called out because there's an eye asymmetry and they've been in a bad position in utero, it might be five, 10 minutes tops. And then we come back in, you know, three, four days and do a little bit more. Um, I have a foal in California that we've been working with and I've sent one of my my graduates to work with um who whose face was indented and one eye was pushed back and up and now her face is symmetrical oh wow she went, yeah it's beautiful work she yep. went out I would say seven sessions you know but tiny little sessions and then average horse who's in my practice who gets sessions a lot could be is is anywhere from 50 to 60 minutes Right.
0: But in that time, it's not just your hands on the whole time. No. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. what tells you? I know this is a tough question, but what tells you that that, that particular position, that placement of your hands is enough? There's a, fe- I, I
1: can't, it's hard to explain because there's a feeling of completion, or in fact, fe- the horse will, um, you know, w- your hands will feel like they just need to come off the horse. I, it's a hard thing to explain, but I'm looking for,
0: I know Uh, I'm asking you hard questions. (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs) So energetically, it feels like they're pushing you out of the contact. So it's like they've, they start to like, if they physically move, it would be, they're not physically moving away, but it feels like they want to. So you all felt that like the horse feels like, okay, I'm done with that. I'm about to move away. So you take your hands off before that happens.
0: So Um, in the Feldenkrais work, you know, we're always talking about less is more and that there's something called the Fechner-Weber law. And I know it's a horrendous name, (laughs) Um, but what the Fechner-Weber law talks about in humans is that our sensitivity is a ratio, not an empirical number. So an empirical number is one, two, three, four. A ratio is one cup of flowers to two cups of water. And as we reduce effort in the Feldenkrais work, we up our sensitivity, we up our gain. In other words, it's like uh, my example is always if you're driving down the highway and you have the radio on, when you get off at the exit, you realize how loud it is and you have to turn the volume way down because it had to get over the road noise. And when we're working in in Feldenkrais, and obviously I think the same as in cranial sacral, we're reducing the effort so that it ups the gain. So little tiny things become very loud. And, Mm -hmm. And so this type of feeling that you're describing becomes obvious because the world is quieted, whether that's the external or internal environment has quieted so that the sensitivity ups and then you can feel these things. Is that kind of the, is it the same for cranial sacral? I I feel that when I'm
1: working and a lot of times I am working in the, with the nerves themselves. And so that's even more sensitive. You know, you hit, you can be in the nerves a very short period of time before you either hit the tipping point and you go the other direction and it's not good. Um, So if I have, an overzealous nerve and I'm trying to calm it, it it's it's seconds, you know, you're in that, you're, you're focused on that nerve for maybe 10 seconds. And so you stay longer than that and the horse is going to be not happy with you. So yeah, absolutely. We have to, and it becomes more sensitive if I'm working in all the cranial nerves with a head. Let's say, say a horse has head shaking syndrome. You know, if we're working on trying to reduce sensation you can only handle so much of that. And then you're
0: just over the top. Right. So, so what I'm hearing from you and I, and I actually totally agree with this um, or otherwise I wouldn't say it is that, you know, cranial sacral work requires training because it's a Mm -hmm. subtle skill. And while we can all put our hands on a horse, which is fabulous, right? We can all put our hands on a horse Horses, when we come with that intention of just, you know, placing our hands on the horse and making contact, that's a good thing. Um, yes. But the types of things you're describing, shoulder releases and working with nerves and, and cranial fluid and working with foals and older horses, that really does require training because it, you have to develop this the skills to have the subtlety and understand what to do. Right. And I think, um, you know, we often say
1: uh, technique plus intention equals healing. So, Oh, I love that. Yeah. So we have, we can have, I think a lot changes with heartfelt intention and that is a huge healer. And then we add a little technique or a lot of technique and then exponentially,
0: you know, it's just a bigger success rate, higher success rate. Right. So someone's asking, it seems like benefit of the circadian rhythm process, then reflect uh, before the next intervention, you might name the ratio. I'm not sure I understand Seems like benefit of the circadian rhythm process then reflect before next intervention. Might you name that ratio reference again? Oh, Fechner Weber law. Sorry, Fechner. Uh, I'll type it. F E C. I think this is it. Fechner Weber law. You can look it up on the internet, um, and they. They talk about it in humans, but I'm sure that it's also true in in other animals. Um, So uh, somebody's asking if there's, uh, in your training, if there's any prerequisites for taking cranial sacral classes?
1: Nope, not in my program. So in my program, we don't work on humans. We only work on the horses. Um, And so you learn, we have more time to focus on learning all that anatomy. And so... um, if in the first level, you'll learn the plates of the skull and how to release those plates, the spine, uh, spinal cord, and the ribs. And so the the consecutive levels go into very specific protocols for regions of the body. But you really don't. If you have anatomy, it's helpful. I know a lot of people who have zero anatomy. Um, I have homework. If you sign up enough an, an in advance, you'll get a list of what you need to study. So... Um, A lot of my massage students end up taking the cranio because it just enhances what they're doing, but you don't need any, there are no prerequisites for it.
0: Okay, Um, and can you talk a little bit about the trigeminal nerve, someone's asking? Yes, the
1: trigeminal nerve is, let's pull our skull out here. So um, that nerve is the size of your pinky. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. So I've done some head dissection. So if we look at, um, I don't know if, can you see this, Wendy? This little, in here, this little hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's the lower branch of the trigeminal. And that basically is the the nerve supply to the low jaw.
0: We can't see the lower jaw right now. Low jaw.
1: And it comes out right about here, right here. Okay. So, you know, when we think about, think about nose bands or anything that's really tight on the underside of the jaw that could be resting there, you can see some horses have damage to this nerve in this position, not inside here, but here. And so um, the, the other exit point for the middle uh, trigeminal nerve is here. And so think about rope halters. Or equipment that might interfere with this nerve and cause some sensitivity in this part of the face i'm not opposed to rope holders just saying we need to know how the equipment sits on the body so uh, uh, that you know there are three branches to the trigeminal nerve and um, i can i have a kind of a fun um illustration we can post on facebook if you want afterwards and it shows the three regions that it innervates. It innervates the whole face, and then the then it branches off into other nerves. So, it's a really important nerve, and the brain rests on a bone called the sphenoid, and I'll show you that bone. Now let's use the other skull because it's got better uh, sutures. So anyway, the trigeminal nerve runs through this bone that the brain rests on, and remember what I said about the sacrum and the sphenoid being intricately connected. So here's the underneath side of the skull. Here's your sphenoid bone. All these five cranial nerves come out. Can you see that right in here? Oh, wow. Four of those are for the eye and the fifth is a trigeminal nerve. And so when we have a problem with our hind end, we we will have a problem with this bone. And this bone looks like when it's pulled out, it looks like a butterfly or a bat. It's quite a beautiful bone. The pituitary gland rests inside of that bone. Um, and it's called the Turkish saddle, sella turcica, is the, you know, the pituitary drops into that bone. And so oftentimes when we have horses with Cushing's and, and things like that, if we can keep everything hydrated and, and keep that pituitary gland happy, um, we can help with some of the symptoms. But the trigeminal nerve, when this bone is not happy, the trigeminal nerve is not happy. And so we can see you know, so a little bit of uh, reactivity of the nerve uh, coming down the face. And trigeminal nerve um, impingement or trigeminal neuralgia, things where that, uh, conditions where that nerve has been damaged um, can create some symptoms that would be head shaking, head flicking, nose flicking, um, Horses that spook at the same thing over and over again in an arena, even though they've seen it, you know, it's like a, like a sunspot. They would like spook at a sunspot over and over again. We would start to look at this bone and its alignment and its freedom of movement and the sacrum. Right. Um, I could talk for hours about
0: trigeminal nerve, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, so somebody's asking, uh, can Tracy mention, and I'm not sure even how to say this, it's goyses, Oh, Gouze's theorem? Yes. So Gouze's theorem says
1: that the TMJ, the fulcrum for the TMJ, is, so what do I mean by that? So the pressure, if a TMJ is really tight, what is the pressure point? Where does that manifest in the body? Yes, there can be sensitivity in the, the um, TMJ itself. So let's look at that again. Right, look at this TMJ. Here's our TMJ. And like you said, Jillian Kreinbring is um, – I host her here a lot because she's really good at talking about this in, in combination with movement and biomechanics. So if we have pressure here, the fulcrum or the, the pinnacle of the pressure point is between the first and second cervical vertebrae. Oh, wow. And if you go how to feel your horse's neck, you'll, and you start at you know, so go behind the ear and you'll feel that little, the curvature of that first cervical. If you, Follow your hand along and you'll feel a little divot or an indentation. That's the space between C1 and C2. That's the fulcrum for this TMJ. So Gouze's theorem says that when we have pressure here, we have pressure in our neck, in particular between C1 and C2. So when you have a horse that can't turn or is resistant to turn a certain direction, it can, can be directly
0: related to the TMJ or TMJ dysfunction. And one of the things I'm always looking at is so many bridles are poorly designed and put the buckles right over the TMJ. Okay. And it really should be, I don't know if you can point out where the buckle should be. It should be further down along the cheekbone as opposed right. to- We want it to be You know,
1: not resting here where, the, where it's putting pressure on this very, what did I say? This is the most highly integrated joint in the body. Where, why would we ever put anything that's tight or pressurey there?
0: Right. And you'll see people with brow bands with big conchos and they'll be putting yeah. pressure on the TMJ or, you know, English bridles with the buckles. They had to make it really high instead of getting shorter cheek pieces right. to move right. that buckle down. So that's, I just thought it's a great opportunity to mention bridle fit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I remember at a team clinic, they brought in a, a horse that was in, it was a New Hampshire police department horse that was in charge of crowd control. And the, the rider was saying he wasn't responsive when he had his equipment on. And so I said, well, can I actually see the equipment on? So he brought out his, his working bridle and the police medallion was like resting right on his TMJs. And I was like, if we just take this medallion off or reposition it for him, it was a huge draft. I mean, he had these huge TMJs that were really pr- more protruding right. than the other horses on the force. So we took that off and he was fine. So we didn't even need cranial work.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes it's the simple things, right, but that we haven't, we've forgotten to look at. Um, yeah. Somebody's asking why it seems that cranial sacral is so popular right now. I, um, she says it's, it's for amazing everywhere. I'm <laughs> just kidding. What did you say?
1: I missed it. I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm being facetious. Everyone who knows my personality, I'm just being silly. I think because um, it's just gained momentum. You know, I've been doing it for gosh, 18 years. And so it hasn't always been accepted or popular, but I've been a real, I've just, as much as I can talk about it, uh, I do. And I think case studies and bodies of scientific work start to make it um, more tangible for people,
0: if that makes sense. Well, and, and the other thing I think in a more general way um, is that we're becoming more more aware of subtlety. In other words, when you look at like Masterson method, um, right. it's about, and, and the Tellington touch, you know, tell, Linda's been out there for a million years talking about lightness and subtle touch. And now Masterson method has come along. And so I think that we're at the point where these more subtle techniques are finally able to rise up over the noise of the loud techniques that the yeah. loud techniques people have gone through, they're still having problems. You know, they're starting to realize that it's, you know, you, you can't just bully a horse into doing something if he doesn't feel good. And that we have to start looking at causes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more we start looking at, you know, why is my horse misbehaving as opposed to just telling him to quit it, that right. we'll start to be able to actually resolve the other underlying problems that have existed that we've be, been in denial of. And, and that doesn't mean that's not a, um, a referendum on people's on, you know, what people have chosen. It's just the process that we're in is that, you know, we're moving through to more subtle levels in our own bodies, in our own thoughts, and then in how we express that with our horses. I agree, totally. And I think
1: I'm able to, you know, it seems like, oh, it's so complicated to teach and it's really not. It's just, you know, it's all about paying attention and listening. And so now that we're becoming better listeners, we can see
0: those subtle responses in our horses.
1: And I love that.
0: Yeah, because you know I took um, cranial sacral for people, and then uh, my friend and I went and and um, worked on some horses. And you know you need a quiet environment. You need to be able to quiet yourself. And if you're really busy, you it, it's not in my opinion not really possible to do it because there's too again there's too much road noise to feel and hear what's going on, and so you'll miss it. Right. Um, and so you know that's one of the things I think that's happened with the pandemic is that it's I. I in many ways, we've gotten to experience what it's like when life is quieter. And my example is that I I had to go to the dentist. And so I drove, it's an hour and a half from my house and I didn't hit a single traffic light red through the whole drive. It was amazing. amazing. Right. (laughs) And now I had to go back as a follow-up and it, and all the traffic is back and the traffic lights are back. And I, you know, and so the road noise is coming back, but we have to keep Mm -hmm. in mind what it's like to not have that, to yes. know that it can be different. Um, right. And, you know, unless you know that that's possible, um, you know, it's, uh, you get caught up in the road noise. So someone's asking if you do any online learning. It's a really
1: good question. And and with, with what's been happening, I, what I think I've, I've decided, and I haven't launched it yet, is to do the lecture side of this as a webinar in small segments. And then I have these really fun exercises where we learn just what you're saying. How do we get quiet in our brain when we live in a culture where everything is just so high octane and busy and the technology really just doesn't allow us a moment or a second even of rest. So I, I would love to be able to do that interactively with people. So um, if people are interested, they can certainly email me. And I'm my goal is to have it out in August. And so, um, even just learning the theory of this work, I think can be super helpful in understanding how your horse's behavior and your own sensitivities, because we do tend to, we aren't kind to ourselves as kind as we should be. We need to be more gentle and loving and say, Hey, I, I'm allowed to sit under a tree and do nothing for 15, 20 minutes, you know, maybe even an hour,
0: but do you know do- that they've actually done research on that and that daydreaming, we need daydreaming. It's... Yes, necessary.
1: it's amazing. Can I tell you one more thing that I, I just love? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, so the shamans would told us that think of your life like a butterfly. So your soul is the body of the butterfly and the daydream is one wing and the nightdream is the other wing. And you need to have your daydream and your nightdream for the butterfly to fly beautifully forward. Okay. So on your journey. So it's, it's like, Oh my gosh, we do need that.
0: Yeah, we do. And uh, that's, you know, my garden is actually my place where I go out and that's, that's rejuvenating for me because um, I, it just takes me away. Um, You know, when we have horses and I, and I, I will admit this, when horses are our life, horses aren't always necessarily our rest. And so my garden is my rest. Um, But you know, this is, I've had many people ask me about surefoot and being able to do become surefoot practitioners online. And what I keep coming back to, and I think it's probably the same for you, there's only so much you can do online. But there's then there's the piece that you really need to be in the presence of the other person yeah. and and observing what they're doing in that moment because we all have habits and whether that's habits of thought, habits of action, we have habits. And hmm. without someone literally observing us, the quantum physics piece we, we're not aware of them. And it That's takes right. that observation. And I believe for Surefoot in person when we unconsciously do something and somebody goes, Hey, did you notice that you did that? And you're like, no. And then here's your option. Um, because we all have habits. That's horses have habits. People have habits. So I, uh, you know, I, I can't see myself ever having a completely online training. Right. Um, it would be are- hard.
1: It would be really hard. And even yesterday we were doing a day two of a level one class and and when you have trouble feeling the rhythm, I can put my hands on the horse and feel the rhythm and you put your hands on top of mine and it's really easy to feel it because I've already tapped into it and, and it's like, oh my right. gosh, there it is. And then the brain will start to accept it. It's like the brain's like, that's really weird. I don't know what that is until it feels it. And then it says, oh yeah, that's, it does exist.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. So that's a, that's always a difficult piece. Um, so, uh, let's see, do you need to take the levels in order? So just talk about your school. There's been several questions about your school. Like, uh, how, how does one go to your school? Um, what kind of level? So just, you know, just give us a kind of a brief overview, tell us the name again and where we can find out information. Sure.
1: So, um, you can go to, so the school name is the Rocky Mountain School of Animal Acupressure and massage. And the website is the initials of those words. So rmsaam.com. I have my own website that details the cranial work and it's my name, tracyvroom.com. T-R-A-C-Y-V-R-O-O-M. And so, you know, the massage school has um, three levels of massage for for equine massage. So um, it's you can take one level or you can take all three, but each level is for a different reason. So the first is therapeutic, the second is sports, athletes, biomechanics, and the third level is seniors, post-op, rehab, holistic. So in cranio, it's all broken down into the parts of the body and you can see that outline on my website. Um, so you can go to the website and read about it. You can then email, there's a, you know uh, email on there that you can email me or the school for more information, and we can send you a catalog. Um, we're an accredited trade school, which means that um, in certain states, it's recognized that you don't need to work with a veterinarian. Even though I always say we absolutely need to work with our veterinarians, but there are states where you can't practice. And so, if you aren't a vet.
0: And it's really important to check out your state's regulations uh, before you start investing into a program to make sure that it's okay in your state. Every state's different um, and, you know, you don't want to get down the track and then find out you have to move (laughs) because you can't practice
1: And I will tell you that one of my, you know, I have a business partner and her her job is legislation. And so what we're doing on a state level is working on state legislation so that, when you graduate from an accredited program and you take a test, then you're allowed to practice and the veterinarians honor that and, 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 and the chiropractic board. And so I'm excited about that. Like I'm excited that we're being proactive in helping practitioners be able to have, to do this work and, and do what they love. So
0: and, we're and, um, I can't remember whose webinar it was that we talked about it, but you know, in, in certain countries, animal physical therapists is a trained profession and recognized. Oh, it was um, Dr. Raquel Butler. And we were talking about how you know what we really need to move toward in the, the North America and Australia is toward some type of national accreditation Absolutely. for um, uh, people who have proper training accreditation, um, and but that takes time and legislation and, and it's a, a a lot of work. So I that's awesome that you have somebody dedicated to. To working on that because you know, the more we start to understand that there's these other modalities that support as part of the team to help the horse, that that we're working together and that we have a lead vet with a diagnosis that can then specify the treatments, the, the better it is for the horse. And that's ultimately the goal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Um, Lynn, you've raised your hand, but please just pop it in the chat, um, because I'm going to wind this up. If anybody else has any questions, uh, please just let me know right now. Otherwise, uh, you know, this has been really fun um, and really fascinating. And um, Tracy, it's just, I I didn't realize that you had um, uh, now purchased a school. I I had somebody else where I wound up being the legacy owner of my safari company, Horsing Around International. Oh, wow. Right, was not an intention of mine to own a safari booking company. <laughs> so I totally get it what it's like when suddenly it's the universe opens up and here's the opportunity and you just have to jump in with both feet. So, um, you know, kudos to you for doing that. It's 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 always a lot bigger deal than you think.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. We could have stories. Yeah. Yes. Um, so thank you so much. Somebody's just asking. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Will I be doing webinars regarding teach? I have done webinars with Tea touch and I will certainly bring Robin Hood back. She's always a favorite guest. Um, and tomorrow, my guest is Sharon Wilsey. She's coming back for part six. Um, I have some video from a foal with Bess Miller from last Friday. I'm going to ask Sharon to look at that video because I think it'd be fascinating for her to encode what the foal is saying to us and decode it Um, So please tune in for that one. It's at one o'clock tomorrow, Eastern Daylight Time. And again, you can find all the webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And you can always sign up for webinars at the surefootequine.com website on the calendar. So thank you again, Tracy. This has been a blast. It's really great to see you and congratulations on all the marvelous things you're doing. Um, Thank you so much. This has been great. And hopefully um, uh, we'll we'll see each other again sometime. (laughs) I hope so. Have a great one. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks.